0: Hey, Foreclosure Fix family, and welcome to another episode of the Foreclosure Fix podcast, where our goal is to help 1 million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. Hey, if this mission to help 1 million homeowners resonates with you, please do us a favor, like, subscribe, or share our content with someone who you know it can help. If y'all been following our foreclosure fix journey for any amount of time, you know that we search high and low for the best guests to bring out to the podcast. And today, our guest does not disappoint. Um, please welcome to the podcast, Brenton Harrison. Brenton. Thank you for having me. Um, Brenton is a, is a, is now a friend, um, but... He is a certified financial planner, a student loan expert, and today we are going to dive deep into how to help those who may be struggling financially. Um, The thing I like about Brenton is that not only is he an expert in his field, but he is a husband, a father, and I spent an hour and a half bending his ear at FinCon a couple weeks back, and he was so gracious with his time. and so I appreciate you, and I appreciate you hopping on the podcast today.
1: Oh, man, you know, it's, it's a pleasure. I'm honored to be invited. And, and I enjoyed our time together as well. Uh, you know, we were introduced by uh, two great people. So that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, hey, if, if these two people say we need to get together, we need to get together.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, man. So just diving in, Brenton, let our listeners know kind of more about you and how your company interacts with people who may be facing financial challenges.
1: Sure. So I, I am the son of two entrepreneurs, but they were two first-generation high-incomeers. Uh, so when I was growing up, I watched them navigate a lot of different challenges, one of them being you're being confronted with a number of different financial decisions that nobody else you know has ever had to confront. Okay. But the second part of that is while you're trying to navigate them, you have another generation who supported you, who loves you, who you love, you're trying to make sure they're okay as well. So I got to see uh, both sides of the coin. I got to see people who were really doing well when it came to my parents' friends. And I also got to see friends and family who were not doing well and right in the middle. And I realized that a lot of times the difference uh, had to do with financial literacy. And then also just like luck and gifts and inheritances. (laughs) And if you're not going to have the luck and gifts and inheritances, you got to have the financial literacy. So We try to focus on uh, not just people who are already rich or already wealthy. We we try to go and say, hey, whether we work with you one on one or not, we're going to provide content for people who just want to know what some terminology or what different paths to wealth may be. Uh, and then go from there. So we we try to have a very community-centric way of doing business.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And in my intro, I forgot to mention that you are the host of the New Money, New Problems podcast. Um, And in addition to that, you also have a podcast about student loans. But the point that you made about your parents, right, and them being a first generation of wealth or a first generation of high-income earners and being stuck between almost two worlds is a place where I think a lot of our listeners find themselves. A lot of listeners may be the first ones in their families to own homes, um, and now they may be facing foreclosure, or they're the ones who have the financial wealth or a great job, but they're in the midst of giving out a lot more than they probably should as they think about saving for their future. You know, as you think about the clients you've worked with in the past and stuff like that, you know, how often do you see that for folks who are are, are that first first generation of wealth? Oh yeah, I try to break
1: stats or, or estimates into like, if I see 10 people, then this number of them are dealing with this particular issue. Uh, the overwhelming majority of my clients are the same. You know, they're 35 to 50. They're navigating those decisions that I told you. And the overwhelming majority of them are either consistently supporting family financially, or there's the expectation that if there's a family emergency, they would chip in and be the majority of, of the money that's coming in. So it's a very, very common thing. And if you're expected to contribute or be the majority, then you definitely don't have anybody who's going to be able to tell you how to navigate certain things. So you live in a neighborhood, you have a nice house, you look at the neighbor next door to you and you're like, "Why are they not as stressed about living in this house as I am right? <laughs> you don't understand. sometimes
0: they are. When you find yourself in that situation and you are stressed about the finances, and you're stressed about other things that may be going on, what do you tell your clients? What do you advise them to do? How do you say to them, you have to make a difficult decision in order to overcome the obstacles that are in front of you?
1: I have found that there are two things that are the last things people want to change when they're in financial difficulties. The first is where they live. And the second is where and how they educate their children. So I'm in the South. Nashville is a big private school town for, for various reasons. Um, and when you're trying to tell people, you know, hey, maybe you've been off more than you could chew with this house, or maybe you've bitten off more than you, you can chew with this private school, uh, it's the last thing people want to do. And I understand that, right? Who would want to be stripped of their home? So to me, if those are going to be the last resort items, the first resort needs to be cash flow and debt elimination. So we have to make sure they understand that if you're going to attack cash flow, you have to do it in a way that throws all quote unquote, conventional financial wisdom out the window. So I will tell people when they're really in a pinch, hey, you need to stop contributing to your 401k. And that sounds crazy to them. But I'll say it's great that you're putting this money aside you know, that you can use when you're 59 and a half. But you have $20,000 in credit card debt and $0 in savings. We need money you can access now. So there are things that people see online that they think they should be doing that when they've gotten into a deep enough hole, they actually need to put on pause. And those are one of the first uh, bits of recommendations that we get.
0: So, So go back to that situation where you mentioned someone is in a bad financial spot, but they don't want to change where they live and they don't want to change the school. So those are the two difficult things. Why, why do you think that's the case? Is it the perception of the outside? Is it just, you know, the, the meaning of what a home is to somebody? Like, and again, I know you may not have the concrete answer, but why, why do you think that's the case? Well, let me project
1: on if that were to happen to me. <laughs> if I were to lose my home due to factors that I couldn't control, I would feel like I failed. I would feel uh, like I was exposed. And those are two terrible feelings to have, to to say, man, I got into this house, even if it wasn't the house of my dreams, it's mine. It's it's one thing that someone cannot take from me. And if it's taken from me, that just feels terrible. It feels like you're a failure. It feels like you have lost the little bit of control that you had. And then I think about my son who was in a private school. If you were to tell me that there was something that I wanted for my son, that was either something that, you know, my parents, thankfully, my parents were able to provide plenty for me. But let's say that that wasn't the situation and I'm trying to do more for my child that was given to me. And I was told that I couldn't do that. Now I feel like I failed my child. So those are two visceral feelings that you don't want to feel. And if there's any other option that you could choose, you're going to choose that other option first.
0: Man, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that. It, it's crazy because it's bringing back memories. Uh, maybe about uh, six or seven years ago or now, we, when I say we, me and my wife, we built a phenomenal house in uh, a great area of Atlanta called Buckhead. And that house, I'm a, I'm a licensed builder um, and part of our business is the renovation of properties. And so uh, we built an awesome house, it had a pool, had all this great stuff. And Literally, we were in the house. Things were great. Business was great. And we got the mail. And when we opened up the mail, it was our tax bill. And our tax bill was over $20,000. And at the same time, we were having conversations about sending our kids, we have two daughters, to private school. And if you all know about private school, they range. But on the low end, you're talking about 10 to 15. On the high end, you're talking about, you know, more expensive than college rates. Right. And so I was started doing the math and I was like, no matter what's going on, this is not sustainable right? This, this is not sustainable, whatever. It, we could probably sustain it for a year or two or something like that. But it just became a situation where I was like, this won't work. And for us, the timing was great. We are actually were deciding to move out to the suburbs and out of Atlanta. And so we sold that home and stuff like that. But as you talk about that and you talk about your clients, I can kind of go back and play that conversation in my head because it was definitely a tough decision because we love that house. And it was a situation where we loved the neighborhood, um, and as you talk through that, I'm just like, man, imagine if we had more friends, more neighbors, and how intricate you become into the community. You definitely can feel like a huge failure um, if you if you if you're going out there.
1: Oh yeah, you mentioned neighbors. We live on my, my son is five. We live on a street that has. I'm looking at my window right now, trying to count. There's like eight kids on our little street. And, and he's one of the youngest, but the oldest is only like 10 or 11. So they're all you know around each other all the time, all playing, all jumping on the trampoline. If we were to have to leave that neighborhood because of a foreclosure or something like that, you feel like a failure. And you added another factor that I think is worth mentioning, you're married. And it is very rare, at least in terms of the couples that I come across, where both are as invested in the day-to-day operations of the finance as the other. And if you are sitting there looking at those numbers and maybe your partner is not as involved, not saying that they're not on the same accord, but they're just not looking at the numbers like you are. And then you come to them and drop a bomb that says, Hey, we need to move. That's even a tough conversation to navigate. So there's even, you know, a lot of things that we do, we try to do things that make financial sense. Some things you do to just keep peace (laughs) and even doing things to keep the peace in the home may not make financial sense, but they keep peace in your home.
0: Brenton, you mentioned something right there that that I would like for you to give some more depth and context. So a lot of our listeners of the podcast are people who may be facing foreclosure or the friends or family of people who are facing foreclosure. And so help our listeners understand what to do if they find themselves in that exact situation, that they're the ones who maybe manage the finances and maybe they're in a situation where they know this is coming down the line but they have not told their significant other. Like, what does that conversation look like? How do you prepare them? What things can you do to allow that to go the best way possible? The
1: first thing is check your ego at the door. If you are the one who's managing the finances, you need to be prepared for the fact that your spouse may say, how could you let this happen? (laughs) And and the fact of the matter is, it's going to be a question you might have to answer. And if you answer with anger or ego involved, the conversation is going to dovetail. You also need to bring numbers to the conversation because you're asking this person who's not as involved and not as informed as you are to come on board with a decision and they don't know all the variables at play. So you need to, as best you can, lay out the case, lay out your current status so that your partner can be aware uh, of of what's going on. And then you also need to, as best you can, try to come on one accord as to the next best step the next best step may be communicating with your lender. It may be trying to schedule another conversation or find uh, you know, another way to address it because you don't know how that conversation's gonna go. But it starts with transparency, it starts with real data um, because that's something that if you think about it, if roles were reversed, you would want somebody to be able to prove that point to you um, if you were bringing brought that information.
0: So I wanna highlight what you said. You said, lose your ego, bring numbers to the conversation, and identify the next best step. So those three things are, are, are critical to you to moving forward. And when you do those three things, Brenton, how does that change and how have you seen people go from a, a negative financial situation to a better financial situation? Like what other steps need to go along with those three things in that conversation?
1: It is very rare that you have a partner who doesn't want to be on good terms financially, they may be doing something that contributes and you are as well. Like it takes two people to put you in a bad financial situation, but they may be doing something that's contributing to the situation that you're in and not even be aware of it. So first making them aware of it allows them to regulate their behavior the same way that you regulate yours. We need to cut back on this. We need to increase our savings so that we can do that, whatever the case may be. So the communication and the data makes them aware of how they are contributing to the whole. And then also getting all on one accord and stripping your ego at the door allows you to articulate some things that you may be feeling that contribute to your relationship. I can tell you this has happened in my household. My wife wants to work hard. She, she's the type. This is almost like Rose reverse. She's the type who wants to work hard, come in at the end of the week, give me her check and say, I worked as hard as I could. <laughs> I did my part. You do the rest. So if I'm bringing her tough financial uh, situations that we need to navigate, I have the feeling when she has more questions that she's judging the way that I managed things. And I have to be aware that that's how I feel before we even start the conversation because it's a valid question for her to ask. But because she's not as involved in the day to day, I feel like it's a personal attack because I am the one that's managing on the day to day. So that's why checking the ego at the door is so helpful. That third part of determining the next best step is you're going to have to, if you're in a pinch, be on one accord. You may have made things separately. And for some people who are doing well financially, they can continue to make things separately. But now we're not. So we need to move together with alacrity to make sure that we're doing this thing quickly and we're doing it in the right
0: way. Man, I think I gotta get a dictionary out uh to to, 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 to define alacrity uh for the audience. Um man, you got this voluminous vocabulary on us, man.
1: So, man. When uh, I was a when I was a kid, my my dad actually still does this. My dad will find like a, a weird word in the dictionary or weird, you know, a word that people don't commonly use and they'll send it to me, and it'll be like, race to see who uses it first. <laughs> and like Look for like random yeah. ways to insert it in the conversation. Uh, so, so yeah, speed. <laughs> no, no, man, no, that,
0: that, that's, that's phenomenal, man. Um, taking it another step. Unfortunately, financial problems exist for many Americans and many people in general. Some people will ultimately lose their house. You know, Our goal is to help a million people navigate the process. So when you are in a situation where home loss is pretty much inevitable and you want to figure out what the next move is after that, how do people start the rebuild process? How do people start to take themselves from the pit to get back to the mountaintop? Uh, They first acknowledge what got them
1: where they were in the first place. Sometimes it's not their fault. You know, there are down markets that could lead to situations like this. You could you could do everything right and just catch a bad break. But if there's something behavioral, you first have to address, you know, wherever you go, there you are. So if you were spending frivolously at the old place and you don't address it, you're going to spend frivolously at the new place. If you were terrible with credit at the old place and you don't address it, you're going to be terrible with credit at the new place. After you have addressed whatever that behavior may be, you then set a plan of action for like your base level of needs in your new place. That could be one month's reserves. It could be three months reserves. It could be one month's reserves and zero credit card debt. But you have to have a metric that you can build towards so that you can understand we're not going to be stable until we reach this metric. To me, one of those metrics is zero credit card debt. I strongly believe, and when I say zero credit card debt, I don't mean you're not using credit cards. I mean, you're getting to the point where you're paying them off in full every single month, or you have a plan of action where you're putting credit card debt on zero interest cards, and you have a plan to pay it off in full by the time that offer expires. But to me, if someone is not in that scenario, it's the first metric that I look for to say, okay, well, we're in a situation where we're outspending what we're able to to do on the cash flow side, so there are metrics that you can use that are different than someone else. But to me, one of the first ones is at least a month reserves and zero credit card debt that's rolling over at a rate of return.
0: How long should somebody be prepared to go on the journey of, I guess, financial freedom? Because and today, you know, I pick up my phone, I look at Instagram, I look at YouTube, and I'm like, man, you know, this person said they made X amount of dollars in one year and they were, you know, riding a hoopty and not in a Bentley, right? You know what I mean? So how long should the journey be for the average person, not necessarily the the one off folks?
1: I am, and this is completely my length of time. <laughs> this is not like some rule of thumb. It's just based off of what I've seen. I have been doing this for 14 years. I probably meet with 10 to 12 people a week and have done so 48 to 50 weeks a year for the entire 14 years. I've seen a lot of people's finances. And I think that someone can change their financial life significantly within three years. Go from just pure disaster to at least I feel comfortable in three years. And I believe that someone can change their financial life completely in 10 years. Now, does that mean financial freedom? It depends. Financial freedom is incredibly subjective. It's all, what does it mean to you? But to me, an example would be, I I state this consistently, you've you've heard the podcast, you know that I state all the time that I want to build to the place where I either work nine to 10 months a year, or I work three to four days a week. So either one, but I want to build myself to the point where we have enough recurring income where I don't feel like I'm sacrificing something to take two months off for the year. And I feel like within 10 years, that's very possible. That's my metric. Your metric may be, I wanna leave corporate America in 10 years and I wanna have a self-sustaining business. For someone who doesn't wanna leave corporate America, they may say, I want the ability to work here because I choose to work here, not because I have to work here. And I believe that with intention and specificity, through marking your goals and determining from step one to step 10, how you're going to get there, you can do that within a decade.
0: Man, Brenton, that brings us to my favorite part of the podcast, which is our bowtie round. And this is where our listeners get to tie one on with our guest, Brenton Harrison. So the B in bowtie round stands for your best advice for someone facing foreclosure. The O stands for one thing you are grateful for. And the W stands for your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story. Uh, Brenton, what's your best advice for someone who is facing foreclosure or a tough financial situation?
1: Communicate with your lenders. If you think that your situation will get better by ignoring calls, ignoring emails and ignoring mail, you are incorrect. You would be surprised uh, how much a lender wants to keep you in your home rather than boarding it up and taking the keys. So be communicative and have a plan of action for what your ask may be when you communicate with them.
0: I couldn't agree more. One thing you're grateful for. Good health. And your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story or in your world, a, a financial turnaround story. There's a couple
1: that I, I worked with who had a vi- like a number of just tough breaks. When you talk about nothing they did that, you know, could have changed the situation, just a couple of job losses, a down market, and they had- um, signed up for a new home in this beautiful community, and just as a result of all those things, had to give up their family home. Uh, you know, probably took a sixty percent drop in household income. It was just disastrous, and it all happened within uh, one year. And I watched them over the span of the next three years not only put themselves in a position where they completely reestablished their emergency reserves. They had gotten into a home that was a beautiful home that fit in what their new household income was. And they had acquired four properties within the three years. So not only did they put themselves back in good standing, they had actually acquired more property than they had before. And all of it started with them being willing to humble yourself and just say, life has changed. The, The level of our income and housing has changed but we're going to work within what we have and build back up. And they were able to do it in, a, in just a really, really impressive way.
0: Man, that, that's a phenomenal way to, to end the podcast. And that's a phenomenal way to highlight what you can do if you stay committed to the journey of getting out of debt and fixing your finances. Uh, Britton, please let our listeners know how they can get in contact with you, how they can follow your content, how they can uh, follow your journey.
1: We are New Money, New Problems, pretty much everywhere. The The podcast is the New Money, New Problems podcast on YouTube. We're New Money, New Problems. On Instagram, we're newmoney.newproblems. Uh, so if you're interested in our content, if you want to know more about what we do in terms of how we work one-on-one with families, individuals, small business owners, uh, you can go to any of those platforms or our website, newmoneynewproblems.com.
0: Definitely check out Brenton's information. And y'all, I appreciate you listening so much. If the goal to help a million homeowners resonates with you, please do us a favor. Check us out at theforeclosurefix.com. Follow us on all social medias. And until next time, y'all have a blessed day. And I love you. Take care. The views and opinions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. If you have a specific legal question, we highly recommend you contact a qualified legal professional.